Hey, welcome to the Me Show Mission. Two men, one podcast. Every black film ever made. My name is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Triple. And as always, I'm joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are continuing our trek back in time as we step into the year of 1930. Yeah. For another visit with Paul Robeson, or Robeson. Robeson, so I've always heard. Well, Robeson, it shall be. Mm-hmm. We visit with him again as we look at the quote-unquote avant-garde film. <laughs> I don't know what you're quoting-unquoting for. <laughs> Borderline. <laughs> it's pretty avant-garde to me. It's it. <laughs> It put the avant in avant-garde. I was about to say, it guarded my avant. <laughs> Very well. It did indeed. Um, that is our film for this stop on the Michelle Mission, Vince's Selection. But first, as always, we like to touch on all of the feedback and news that you dropped to us via all the social medias, including via email, where we heard from Maurice Poplar. Hey, what's up, Maurice? Thank you, brothers, for celebrating Mr. Robinson. Always. It's no secret that he's one of my heroes. Okay. Did y'all forget to mention he played pro football while in law school? Did you make enough of his roles on Broadway in the theater? Has he sadly been buried and all but forgotten by history? Or the real question, could you even say enough about him, in my opinion? Hell no. I would ask for another helping of Brother Paul sooner than later, but you've read my mind. (laughs) Keep doing what you do, gents. The Lord's work, I say, the Lord's work. Mo Paul Robinson Tribble Poplar. Hey, thank you, Maurice. Yeah, look, man. Look, real Renaissance man. Like, real, like, like, one of the closest people to Buckaroo Banzai in real life. Wow, that's a good reference right yeah. there. That's a good, that's, yeah, that's a good comparison. That's an apt comparison. Because he compare. did everything. Yeah, because anybody, fans of the of the film, uh, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, what's the full title of that? I forget. Yeah, in the blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, don't kill me. Um, don't And don't at me. Uh, that character was everything. He was a rock star. He was a surgeon. He was world a scientist. Scientist. A pilot. Yeah, yeah. And and Robeson was the same way. He was all that. Like he just did everything. We also heard from Kyle Connor. Hey, Kyle. Hi, guys. I am a new missionary who has come to the fold. Ah, excellent. Welcome. I love your show. Thank you. Which I usually listen to while I'm at the park throwing the ball for my Border Collie Wiley. Nice. First heard the show on WXPN several months ago. Oh, a local guy. And have been hooked since then. With each episode, I learn something new, whether it's a recommendation for a good movie, pop culture, ephemera, insights into black culture and film history, or your incisive observations on racial stereotypes, typecasting, and historical racism in the entertainment industry. Sometimes your conversations can be very poignant, as was the discussion of the way Jackie Robinson calibrated his performance in the Jackie Robinson story to match his contemporaneous social image. Keep on keeping on, guys. The mission is just 200 
and beyond. Best, Kyle. P.S. A live 200th episode should happen. Well, thank you, Kyle, and welcome. Welcome, uh, Kyle. And uh, I agree, Kyle. Oh, boy. That a live 200th episode should happen. It, well, look, man. <laughs> Whether or not it does I was about to remains say, to be seen. Logistics yes. is, is, a, is a big word. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. For but it is on our, our mind as well. It Kyle. is on our mind and something that we definitely want to look into. Right. Um, making happen for everybody out there because, you know, hey. Right. We like being live. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Live is fun. Uh, and if you want to hear us live, ladies and gentlemen, you know, you, you can tune in on this coming Saturday, Saturday, September 14th, where the Michelle Mission will be a guest on the Scenario Radio Show out of Tennessee. Here we go, yo. As they look back at Spike Lee's classic film about a hot summer day in Brooklyn, and that film is... Do the Right Thing. That's right. We will be joining um, the folks from the International Black Film Festival to discuss the cultural impact of Do the Right Thing on the Scenario Radio Show. Yes, sir. The Scenario Radio Show, ladies and gentlemen, um, real talk with a playlist with their host, Van Everett. This Saturday, it promises to be a great time. I uh, hope that you can tune in and check us out on there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. Let's get into some of the feedback that people have Given us, we got a lot of feedback. But I, I, I saw. I knew we were going to touch a nerve at the very end, and it looks like we did. Yeah, we. <laughs> you should be happy about that. Like you, you have a bunch of compatriots. I do, don't I? Mm-hmm. I'm very, I am very happy for that. I, I, I do appreciate that. And what Vince is referring to, ladies and gentlemen, is um, people like Don Miskell, who wrote on our Facebook group. I don't even like spades. I don't even like spades. Don don't even like spades. Break out them bones and prepare to weep, though. Oh, boy. Yeah, he's, he's one of them dominoes. One of them guys. dominoes dudes. <laughs> he's one of them dominoes dudes, man. It's, it's, it's a lot of it. people. A lot of people are like, I can't play dominoes either. Oh, for God's sake, Lynn. Do you play dominoes? I, can, I won't embarrass myself in dominoes. Okay, so you play them. Like, I can play, and, and like people won't laugh me away from the table. But I'm not... A player, like I'm not, I'm not a dominoes guy. I don't play dominoes. What's that mean? I'm just jotting down my notes in my upcoming white paper. Clement. Lynn Webb: <laughs> Colon serial killer? Question mark. Clement. I'm just asking the questions that need to be asked. Look, then you need to ask him about Clement Lewis Jr., who says I am with Bat Tribble. Never learned how to play spades, and when I tried, it was way too much drama. There would have been a fight <laughs> with a lot of hurt people. That's true. You know what I mean? Now that's true. See, see, I, it's, it's, I don't know if we talked about this on mic or after we stopped taping. There is a narrow window when you can learn. Yes, that's like true. it really is. You're too young. 
and nobody lets you play, and then you're too old, and tempers run high. Mm-hmm. So you got to get like that window of opportunity. Hey. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate all the people that sided with me. Absolutely. On this. Because, like, you're like, yo, man, I mean, like, you know, like, I mean, come on, man. Come on, man. Like, you know, it's, it's like, really? Is yeah. It, is it yeah. really that deep? It's not that deep. Now, I don't trust any of you. <laughs> and I'm not saying that when the revolution comes, I have a list that I'm keeping. But I'm not not saying that when the revolution comes, I'm keeping a list. Of people who I think might be co-conspirators with the man. Joanne Blaylock said, I also don't play spades. Hashtag, you are not alone. I know. I wrote her name down, too. Nikki Webb, I just learned how to play a few months ago, and then I downloaded an app to further teach myself how to play. Now, is that cheating if you downloaded the app? That's what my daughter is doing. Like, I found out my daughter was playing spades on an app. And she gets really frustrated with her computer partner. But does that is that cheating? I don't think it's cheating. Okay, Azor uh, Azor Risbrook uh, never played spades a day in his life. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. However, um, Sabria Hafiz says that I'm a spades champ, but I have never played dominoes. I don't know the rules of the game. Yeah, see, so she doesn't even care. Yeah. About dominoes. A lot of it is, it, it seems like it's regional too. Like West Coast folks and then my West Indian folks, Caribbean folks love some dominoes. So, you know, I just like to be in the mix. You know, the other thing too, because I don't play, I don't do sports. Yeah. Like I don't do sports talk. So that kind of really ups the ante for other communal activities. Yeah, there you go. Because I can't sit around and talk about the the Sacramento <laughs> Don't even know where you're the going. Sacramento <laughs> running stallions. You go to Sacramento. The Sacramento running did you see that match with the Sacramento running stallions? Of all the places to go, you would Sacramento. They scored 15 points in the sports ball game last evening. I was very happy for their victory, or I was very sad for their loss. There is, I believe, one team sport, professional sports team in Sacramento. All right, sure. Do you know what it is? Why would I know? Uh, Who pulls up Sacramento? Because it's always some random city. (laughs) Of all cities to pull, Sacramento. The Des Moines Swimming Aqua Seals. Anyway, uh, your brother. Oh, boy. Damon. (laughs) Yeah, I know. He says, now, if you really want to upset black folks, tell them you don't believe in pile on while playing Uno. When did Uno turn into this thing? Like, now, that's something I missed. Uno is a thing. No, 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 no. I know Uno is a thing, but Uno is a thing. Like, people are serious about their Uno. Well, okay. They can't be serious about no, Uno. If y'all can be abs- serious about spades abs- and the bones, you can we can be, we can be, be serious, serious about, about the, draw uh, four. Absolutely. And piling on. And Yes. Yes. Hey, look. Hey. And I don't know these people that don't believe in pile on. I pile on like a mother. I mean, you do draw fours and draw two pile ons? No. Okay. Well, see, I think that's the big debate. 
Like oh, can you, you throw a draw two on a on draw four? Of draw four? No. I, that's what I say, too, but apparently we're very conservative players. No. No. You can't draw two on a draw I'm, four. Apparently, that's now, a You draw two. Now, pile on draw two. Right. You, you pile yeah, on you, draw two. Yes. Apparently, that's the controversy. Some people. <laughs> what controversy? Who are these people? Look, house rules. You they, they, they need to go on your white paper. You know. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> oh, no. You get your own paper, sir. <laughs> It's kind of like, are you, do you play Monopoly? I do. Do you, do you all put money under the get out of jail? Yes. Get, get, see, a lot of pl- people don't. A lot don't. of people don't. See, a lot that, of people that don't. That is one of those cultural rules. It's like rules. a house rule. Right. right. That is a cultural rule. Now, I would talk about spades and, and, the, and the two of clubs and the two of diamonds, but you don't play spades and so you don't know what I'm talking about. I have not a clue. But those are also house rules. Like you have to establish, you know, which one is the big, which one is the little. Joker, I mean. Oh yes, and you know I, the I've, big I've Joker. Heard about that. And and I've actually seen fights over that, where it, like it wasn't established up top that this is the big mm-hmm. and this is the little. Well, that's true. And then that that turns into a situation. That is true. When a group of probably and to be fair, this is probably true of of all races, right? But it's definitively. True of blacks. I mean, when, I, I can't really speak. If I'm in a big ass group, it's just black people. <laughs> yes, I know. I know, I, I know how you get down. Yeah. But if you're in a group of blacks and you are sitting down to play a game, like a widely you know held game, right, right. That's cross regional. Exactly. Yeah. There has to be a conversation. Before the top comes off the box or cards come out of the case of what rules we're playing. Absolutely. Because don't roll the dice, don't shuffle the deck before the rules are established. That's right. That Now that is... That's right. That's law. That's right. So this is the big joker. And then the one with the writing underneath is the little joker. Mm-hmm is the rule that I was taught. But then some people learned the game in the Netherlands, apparently. And, <laughs> you know, I guess the water in the toilet goes counterclockwise or clockwise or whichever way it goes in Australia. And they want to tell you that this is the big joker. Now, we're not going to do a whole Spock adjacent about this, Vince, but did you he- see the story on The Hollywood Reporter about... A favorite author of yours, Walter Mosley. Yeah, I did. Quitting the (laughs) staff of Star Trek Discovery after using the N-word inside the writer's room. Yes, 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 he did. Now, for those who are new coming on to this story, apparently Walter Mosley, who was hired to be one of the, uh, to write. Right. On Star Trek Discovery. Mm Mm-hmm. Was in the writer's room regaling the writers in the room with stories of his past. Right. Which is one of those things when you get to, what, 70, 80 something years old. I don't even know if he's that old. I thought I saw he was like 67. Okay. But still old enough that he falls under old man. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's what you do. It's Mm -hmm. probably part of the reason why he's there to tell the stories to spark, you know, and creativity there as well. So he's telling them about um story about something from his youth uh, about how 
he was, <clears throat> uh, let's see, I, I have it here. He was talking about how he, he had just told a story about a cop who explained to him on the streets of Los Angeles that he stopped all N-words in Patty neighborhoods and all Patties in N-word neighborhoods because they were usually up to no good. I was telling a true story as I remembered it. So he was telling the people about this story and apparently he was later contacted about HR from HR because someone in the room said that they felt uncomfortable right. about his use of the N-word. And he was then moved to quit the show. They did not let him go. Right, right. From what I understand, this wasn't even an official reprimand. No. This was just a, a heads not, up. No, no. Right. Yeah. And so he was then moved for, to, to leave. <laughs> and he wrote. And, and then wrote about it. <laughs> well, you know, he is a writer. So he wrote that um, he is unaware who complained about his use of the word. There I was, a black man in America who shares with millions of others the history of racism and more often than not treated as subhuman. If addressed at all, that history has had to be rendered in words my employers re regarded as acceptable. There I was being chastised for criticizing the word that oppressed me and mine for centuries. As far as I know, the word is in the dictionary. As far as I know, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence assured me of both the freedom of speech and the pursuit of happiness <laughs> he, he really piled it on cbs <laughs> cbs tv uh tv studios responded to mosley's op-ed because he actually wrote an op-ed <laughs> about this um in the los angeles times they were he responded to it by saying we had the greatest admiration for mr mosley's writing <laughs> talents and we're excited to have him join star trek discovery while we cannot comment on the specifics of confidential employee matters we are committed to supporting a workplace where employees feel free to express concerns and where they feel comfortable performing their best work we wish mr mosley much continued success right and then it wasn't i don't it wasn't part of their official release but the information somehow got out about the racial makeup of the writer's room which is quite diverse yes 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 this is not you know he was the lone right 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 you know so black voice they, in so, here. so yeah yeah um uh so <clears throat> uh and i just want to end uh this one comment um, <clears throat> Mosley ended his his op ed. <laughs> Mind you, he'd only been on staff for three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, I'm not I'm not trying to be in Walter Mosley's pockets. I don't know if he needs this job. Probably not. Like the man been s selling millions of novels for twenty years. <laughs> but his last thing he said. As he quit this job, he was on for three weeks. Last thing he, last thing he said in his op-ed, the worst thing you can do to citizens of a democratic nation <laughs> is to silence them. And the easiest way to silence a woman or a man is to threaten his or her livelihood. <laughs> Let's not accept the McCarthyism of secret condemnation. Instead, let's delve a little deeper, limiting <laughs> the power that can be exerted over our citizens, their attempts to express their hearts and horrors and their desire to speak their truths. Only this can open the dialogue of change.
And now you you pointed out the diversity of the writers' room of Star Trek Discovery. Uh, that room includes three African American writers, two Asian American writers, a Native American, and a Latinx woman, among others. Among others, yes, yes, yes. So, what you guys say about this uh, little tale here, Vince? <laughs> well. I'm going to let the folks see how the sausage is made, and I'm going to read directly from my text. Oh, boy. (laughs) Lynn Webb at 429 text me, we may have to do an emergency Spock adjacent to talk about the Walter Mosley story. At 430, I text Lynn back, do we need a whole segment for, quote, Crazy old black man does crazy stuff. (laughs) Look, man, Walter Mosley is 67 years old. Mm -hmm. As we said, he's not super old. Right. But he certainly falls under old black man. Yes. Before I say anything else, old black men are my absolute favorite demographic on earth. These are my favorite people on earth old black men really and there are two things that i know about old black men after a lifetime of loving them (laughs) for old black man to become an old black man right he been through some crazy stuff which also means bonus and while they're my favorite groups of people they have the best stories that's true that's true second These old black men, because of what they have been through and somehow gotten to the point where we now see them as old black men, have had to police and 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 guard their behavior for decades. Mm -hmm. You ain't going to tell old black man nothing about what he can and cannot do in the year of our Lord, 2019. That's true. Because I'm an old black man. (laughs) <laughs> and I you, you go ahead and I ran out of fucks to give a long time ago cause I'm a cause I got to be an old black man so there's no question in my mind that well when they hired Walter Mosley he just should have been ready look he gonna say some wild Bruh. cause he an old black man and you either are there for it or you're not Right now, I appreciate people want a workspace that they feel comfortable, and you know everything that we talked about. I do think there is a different dynamic with an old black man talking about things that were done to him, mm-hmm. and and what he lived through, and this, that, and the other, and <laughs> it like nothing about this story surprised me at all. My father tells the craziest stories. All the time. Mm-hmm. If my father starts talking about when I have my band, buckle up. Oh, really? Because he about to say some wild stuff. Yeah. Part of the reason I was so great at courting my wife is because I had been trained by my father. So that when I met her father and he started talking about when I was in Korea. <laughs> and then he just say some like. I can't even repeat none of these stories. Right. They so crazy. 
They just old black dudes. Now, what do you mean you were trained by your father? Next trained time? to not look surprised. Oh, trained oh, to, okay. you know, not fall out my chair. Okay. You know, so then I meet this new black, old black guy. And now he got some stories I ain't never heard, but I'm already, all right, here we go. Here we go. I have to tell you about the time when I was in Korea and censored, 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 censored. No, I don't I don't know if you ever told me that before. And then you just sort of keep it moving. Yeah. I'm not surprised. I'm not I'm not surprised at the story. I would have preferred because I like the idea of Walter Mosley being on the writing staff of Star Trek Discovery. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a I'm not a huge reader of his work, mm -hmm. but what work I've been introduced to I enjoy. So I would have introduced I would have been very curious to see what his voice would have lent to this upcoming season of Star Trek Discovery, you know, a show that I enjoy. Mm -hmm. So I would have preferred for him to take the feedback from HR. <laughs> even if in the back of his mind, even if later when he with the brothers, he like, y'all want to hear what kind of boom I got to deal with on this star something, something, something. Boy. And then just keep taking the check, dog, and do your work. Because while I do recognize the difference in if you're telling a tale, and and especially if you're telling a tale and you're more or less trying to quote what was said to you, right? To give to you know better illustrate, you know what was said, and probably doing a, a mock impression of how it was said to him. Sure. Um, while I can appreciate that, I can also appreciate, even at 67 years old, being able to read a room. Right. And, okay, I, maybe I don't, you know, okay, maybe I shouldn't have gone there in, in, in this particular setting. We're, we're not on, on the premises and the, and the band is away at a bar and I say this. Hey, you got a problem with me? Look, I'm just at the bar when you want. It's not on. It's not on. It's not on the clock. Right. It's a workspace. Right. Right. So it's a workspace. So I, I, I there's a part of me that kind of just wants him to like, yo, dude, just like you know, like just keep it moving. And you've been there three weeks. It's not like you've been on staff for, right. for, 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 since season one. L look, be look. I'm really team everyone on this because mm -hmm. I completely understand how you have to have a workspace and and how you have to have certain protocols that you follow in a workspace. I appreciate what seems like a light touch. Right. You that mean, they that, had, that HR took. That them. HR took. But when you said take the feedback from HR, there's nothing about Walter Mosley that says I'm going to take the feedback from HR. And, Point. And, you know, again... I don't I don't really think he needed this. I mean, he's a big old nerd. Mm -hmm. You know, he's written some science fiction. Did you ever see that big Fantastic Four joint that came out like maybe about 10, 15 years ago? Remember they did like these these really kind of 
expansive facsimile editions of 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 the early Marvel comics. Mm-mm. Anyway, he wrote the introduction, or he wrote some type of essay. Oh, really? For the okay. so he's a big old nerd. So I'm sure he took the job just because it's Star Trek. And, okay, oh, but okay. but yeah, there's nothing about Walter Mosley that says I'm going to take some feedback from HR. <laughs> like HR, right? <laughs> not only am I not going to take some feedback about HR, but I'm gonna write a big old op ed. Mm. And since I'm Walter Mosley, somebody's going to publish it. Mm. He's going to take some HR and then he's going to puff and stuff. Exactly. See what I did there? I, I did. I like that. Nicely played. Uh, continuing on in the news, Turner Classic Movie. Yeah. They hired their first African-American host. Our dreams our, are dashed. Our dreams are dashed to, to smithereens by Jacqueline Stewart. Good job. Or should I say Professor Jacqueline Stewart. Yes, congratulations, Dr. Stewart. Named the host of Turner Classic Movie's silent movie program, Silent Sunday Nights, making her the network's first African-American host in its 25-year history. TCM on Monday announced the hiring of Stewart, a professor of cinema and media studies at the University of Chicago, who has specialized in the racial politics of film preservation. She will make her TCM debut on Sunday. I believe that will be Sunday, September 15th. I hope, she said, that as a host at TCM, my presence there will interest a greater diversity of viewers to see what there is to watch. If my presence on TCM gets people interested in film history, especially young people of color, to look at a body of work that they might not think would resonate with them, that's really important. Well done. Well done and congratulations. Very happy about this. I am very happy. Um, well, you talking about a dream get. Man. I don't know if it's any Chicago missionaries out there, but if, if y'all know her, please drop her a line. Yes, us. we would love to love, feature her. Love, love to have her on. On our show. Um, among the first films that Jacqueline will host on TCM will be 1920s Symbol of the Unconquered, by our namesake, yeah, Oscar, Oscar Michelle. Michelle. Yeah. Um, also planned is 1912's Cleopatra. Interesting. By the Helen Gardner picture players. Helen Gardner was the first actor, male or female, to create her own production company in the United States. All right. That is cool. That is really, really cool. And this is this is a young lady that, who definitely has our bona fides. She's a Chicago native um, who has served on the National Film Preservation Board, where she is chair of its diversity task force. She wrote in 2005 the book Migrating to the Movies, Cinema, and Black Urban uh, Modernity, which told the often overlooked history of the first black filmmakers, her Southside Home Movie Project, collecting an archive of more than 300 home movies from families in the Chicago neighborhood as a way of intimately capturing local African-American history. Wow. That's pretty dope. That is pretty dope. That is pretty dope. Um, so congratulations uh, to Professor 
Dr. Well, it's Professor uh, Jacqueline Stewart. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So that, that's huzzah. Huzzah, 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 huzzah. Um, somebody posted on our Facebook group a story from Vulture.com. is an interview they did with Keith David. Yeah, yeah. Um, as he begins work on the fourth season of owns green leaf and i really liked a couple of quotes in here um but it starts off with a great quote uh the writer of the piece who was jennifer wood she asks him you've been acting for 40 years when you think back to the very beginning of your career was there one goal that you most hoped to achieve and Keith David's response was one thing which I still hold today. I wanted to work. I know that's right. My goal was to be a working actor. You can, I mean, look, that is, that is cool. He says that when I first came to Los Angeles, there was a restaurant that was owned by an actor and it was called residuals. Mm-hmm. If you received a residual check for $1 or less, you got a free drink. Nice. They had a bulletin board of residuals with sayings on them. And one of the sayings was fame is what they give you. Success is what you give yourself. I read that and I immediately went home and put that in my journal. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Keith David, an actor who I have loved all of his work, whether it be in live action, you know, in the, in, in the thing, which I loved, the thing is fantastic. And they live with Roddy Roddy Piper, also fantastic. Uh, I tried to figure out how that was a black movie, and failed miserably. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, even though it could be argued, I know. I know. I yeah. When I said it, you, you see, <laughs> it can see, be see. Um, and then I also loved his his voice, uh, his voice, um, voiceover work. Mm-hmm. As the voice of Spawn on HBO Spawn, yeah, and then the voice of Goliath and Gargoyles, yeah, among yeah. other roles, yeah, um, and of course, you know, I, I've I like him on um, Greenleaf. What I've seen of it, I'm not a oh, he's fantastic, huge fan Greenleaf. of the show, oh, but I oh, know yeah, you love that show. He's he's having a hoot on Greenleaf, yeah. Um, so it, it's a cool interview. So I invite people to check it out on Vulture.com. Interview with Keith David. It's really really cool. All right, that's a couple of other things. Someone asked me whether or not we were going to review um, Dolomite Is My Name. Yes. Eddie Murphy's Netflix movie. Yes. Which I believe is going to be released soon. October 4th in select theaters, October 25th on Netflix. See, here's the thing. Because it's going to be released in theaters. Oh, it's fair game. It's oh, fair oh game. it's definitely fair game. But even before we knew that it was fair game, yeah, we had already locked this up, ladies and gentlemen. So just to let you know, give you a, another peek behind the, uh, the see how the sausage is made. Uh, if you had heard when we reviewed um, Dolomite, yes, yes, Dolomite, with uh, the actors and best friends Dorian Missick and Omar um, Dorsey, Dorsey. I always want to call him. I always want to say Omar Gooding, and yes. I know that's not. His that's name. a different guy. That's a different actor. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Uh, Omar Dorsey. They agreed on that show. Yes. That 
they would review the entire catalog. <laughs> right, right. This is we are now the Dolomite Brain Trust. Yes, yes. Uh, so when this movie was announced that it was going to be released, me and Vince immediately went to Dorian to see if he would be interested in sliding this film into our uh, um. Into that catalog. Right, right, right. The Dolomite Collection. Yes. Mm -hmm. To which Dorian responded very succinctly, I'm down. Okay. So we put it to Dorian, and this is a reminder to him, Yo D, to connect with Omar so that they can look at their schedules. Just the logistics. It's because it's a big logistics thing with these two brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, To check their schedules. Uh, so that we can arrange so that all four of us can be be together because it ain't no fun doing it over the phone. No, no, it's gotta no, be live. Gotta be live. It's gotta be live. live. Right, right. And this time, it's gotta be live uh, so that we can review Dolomite is my name with Eddie Murphy and Wesley Snipes and a, and and a cast of others. Hey, hey, it's just going in on the docket. We don't have to do that next. Oh man, we gotta do that next. Hey, look, we got to. You know, I feel like the Human Tornado. Is Dolomite's King Lear? I mean, Rudy Ray Moore's King Lear. We got to do Dolomite as my name. Well, we'll we'll all talk about it. I guess we'll all talk yes. about it. But here, but here's my one. And if something happens and somehow it falls in October, we got to do Petey Wheatstraw, the Devil's Son-in-Law. So that that's would, a Halloween flick. So that would leapfrog both of these films. If 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 yes. I don't know why we talking about this now, but if if somehow it falls in October, why would we not do Petey Wheatstraw, The Devil's Son-in-Law? Okay, it's actually a, a horror movie. Okay, but here's my thing. Oh, forget. No, no, no. So, right. No, last time we did it, which was a great time, but we, we, we when we sat down with the brothers, but we sat down and we 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 bust some good food, some delicious chicken wings. Yes. This time, we eat. And the review's got to be with drinks. Oh boy! Okay, you're 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 making my case. <laughs> it's got to be with drinks. The human tornado, after you've been lubricated a bit, <laughs> is an even better conversation. Yes, we 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 we've, we've it's got to be with drinks. But we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Dolomite is my name is on the docket. I I say it should be next. Well, we'll see. But but that, because now we we got to do Dolomite. We got to do the Avenging. Well, we did do Dolomite. I'm, oh, I'm sorry. We have to do Dolomite colon the Human Tornado. Okay. We have to do the Avenging Disco Godfather. Is that the actual full title? The Avenging Disco Godfather? Yes. Put your weight on it. Put your weight on it. <laughs> okay. We have to do Petey Wheatstraw, the Devil's Son-in-Law. Yes. And then we have to do the Rudy Ray Moore biopic, Dolomite Is My Name. Right. And then we'll have five episodes God. of Rudy Ray Moore. God. And if we kind of box it up, we can put a bonus conversation between me and you of the monkey hustle. Because he's because that, that features Rudy Ray Moore. There you go. And then we can position ourselves to be the world's foremost Rudy Wayne Rayford scholars. I'm joking because it's probably a line in front of us. Mm. <laughs> I think you're giving it a little bit too much. Money. I think you're not. Yeah, I, I, I would bet one American dollar there are at least five people who wrote 
dissertations on Rudy Ray Moore. Five. And I'm lowballing it. Okay. All right. Okie dokie. Well, but it's coming. It's coming. It is, right. it is coming. It is on the docket. On the docket. As they say. Yes. All right. All right. All right. Before we get out of here, I want to uh, welcome our new members, new missionaries, Travis Whiting and Michelle Rogers. Hey, Travis. Hey, Michelle. Welcome. Welcome to the Michelle Mission Facebook group. Um, it's getting very crowded on this ride, but hey, I like it. That's I like right. it a lot. That's right. So, More than uh, merrier. Enjoy, enjoy the ride, lady. Uh, people, it, it, it promises to be fun. Okie doke. Okie doke. All right, I guess that's that's enough news. Let's get into borderline. I know, right? I was thinking it the whole time. I'm going to lose my mind. We'll be back with the film review soon as we do something funky and have steps in it. Borderline, a 1930 film written and directed by Kenneth McPherson, produced by the Pool Group in Terrethead, Switzerland. This silent film with English intertitles is primarily noted for its handling of the contentious issue of interracial relationships using avant-garde experimental filmmaking techniques and is today very much part of the curriculum of the study of modern cinematography. The film features in uh, of its cast Gavin Author, Helga Dorn, Briher, Charlotte Arthur, Robert Herring, Blanche Lewin, and in the leads of Pete Morant, a Negro, and Ada, a Negro woman, Paul and Islanda Robeson. This film that revolves around an interracial love triangle and its effects on local townsfolk and based in a guest house occupied by a set of liberal hedonistic young people sympathetic to emerging black American culture was Vince's selection for this stop on the Michaud mission. What say you of borderline Vince? I think before we begin this conversation we actually have to really locate or frame what we're about to do I think it, we've mentioned it before but it's worth restating and certainly for this episode it's worth stating we are not film scholars right you, you know we are not formally trained we haven't you, you know been to film schools so mm -hmm. on and so forth we are avid film watchers and certainly over the course of these past few years, I, I think we have developed a shared language that has come from viewing dozens upon dozens of films. Mm -hmm. 
And I think I want to start there because so much of the acclaim that this film receives is within that context. Yeah. As, as you said, this film is regarded as this avant-garde masterpiece. It, it was put together by the pool group and the pool group was a trio of, 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 period artists between World War I and World War II. They were artists, filmmakers, and poets, and their work has, you know, there's poetry and film historians and scholars of mysticism, feminism, psychoanalysis, and LGBT history. And while they made a few films, this is the one that survived. Mm -hmm. And when people talk about this film is shown in in film school for for the techniques that that you mentioned in the beginning there are two things in particular that people talk about they they talk about the fact that the the director Kenneth McPherson was influenced by the techniques of GW Paps who had a psychoanalytical approach to having to to um exploring his characters because remember these are silent films so what they talked about what paps theorized is that the actors should have this very heightened performance right so that as viewers you could sense what's going on in their interiority and sergi eisenstein who apparently really innovated the use of montage. Mm-hmm. And in, in this film, apparently is a great example of that. Mm-hmm. And I say apparently because I don't have the background. I've, I've known these names a week now. <laughs> so what we can do is talk about this film, again, as, as, as people who have watched films, people who've watched black films over a number of years, we can look at it as dispassionate viewers and keen observers, and we can talk about this film within the context of our ongoing conversation of black film. Right. With that preamble being said, this is a challenging film. This is a challenging film to watch just going into it cold. I think when we think about films, the first thing that this did was made me, it forced me to think about movies mm-hmm. and and certain aspects of movies that I take for granted. And I think the one thing that stuck out to me immediately was that that, that continuity, if you will, between the film, the the the, the sort of the, the scenes mm-hmm. is not in this film. A lot of this film you have almost, well, montages of static shots. Yeah. Where there are close-ups of people, there are close-ups of of the folks. You talked about the inner titles in the film and and, and you know, certainly if you've seen silent films you know you have the 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 inner titles and it tells you what's going on and oftentimes you'll see a person talking and then they'll have that little card that comes up that tells you their dialogue and that's how we watch silent films this film is a little bit over an hour i think maybe there are 12 cards right 
So even on that level of conveying the plot, there isn't that much there. I think by the end, even if you don't read the synopsis, you get a sense Mm -hmm. that something is going on between this character, Thorn, this character, Ada, and Ada and Paul Robeson's character, Pete. Pete. But it's not super clear. Like You really do have to work to pull it out. Having said that, I think there's something to this, some of these performances. I think, obviously, Paul Robeson gets us in the room right. when we talk about this. I really like the character who played so. So there's Thorne, and Thorne is the white man, and he was having an affair with Ada, who is... I read that as Ada. Ada, I'm sorry, Ada, who is black, and Pete, who is also black's wife. So you have this interracial romance, or or he's cheating on his wife with this black woman. His wife is played by Helga Dorn. Helga Dorn, who is um, more commonly known as Hilda Doolittle. I liked her. I really liked her. I liked her presence. I liked what she did with this role. I liked the way she inhabited the shots. And as far as someone who had to do work to kind of get what was going on, Mm -hmm. I thought she did a good job conveying her frustration, conveying her anger, all of this. Mm -hmm. As Londa Robeson, I thought, was fantastic. This Ada character, I think as much as I want to talk about Paul Robeson, the Ada character is the one that stayed with me. I thought this was a really unique role for a black actress. Okay. She's in the middle of this triangle. First and foremost, anytime we talk about these forbidden interracial romances, it's always a black man and a white woman. Right. So just from the beginning, the fact that this dynamic has shifted and it's this black woman Mm -hmm. and this white man, I think you start somewhere new. Speaking of, of, of this kind of role in history, she's not a Sapphire or Jezebel. Thorne is in love with her. Right. Like Thorne is, is, is ready to risk it all and be with her. And I love how enigmatic she is. Like she's just sort of in herself. Like like she's like no one owns her. Mm-hmm. And there's almost this mysterious like one of the things that I thought worked really well, they juxtapose her with this image of a cat. Yeah. Throughout the film. Especially when she's walking away from Pete throughout the in the city. She's walking away from Pete, and then there's another scene where Pete is holding a cat and Thorne sees the cat, and this cat represents her. Mm-hmm. And her nature really is like a cat. Like if you've ever owned a cat or you know a cat, no one owns a cat. No, they don't. A cat, it you know, a cat is its own um, object. They just occupy a space. They occupy a space. And Ada really does that throughout this film. Paul Robeson, look, you, you completely understand why somebody wants to make a film with Paul Robeson. We talked about this last week. The camera loves Paul Robeson. Mm-hmm. The camera loves Paul Robeson. 
And he looks great in this movie. There are all of these wonderful shots of his character, Pete, against these clouds. Yeah. Where, where, where he's framed as angelic and he's framed as, as just this, this noble man mm-hmm. that I thought were just beautiful. Which then just gets leads me to the, to to my ultimate compliment for this film. This is a beautiful film. Yeah, this is a beautiful film, and and certainly we can talk about what film means. But the composition of the shots, from shot to shot, are absolutely gorgeous. Yes, whether they are. we're talking about Robeson against the clouds. Like I'm talking about, there's this ongoing image of where Thorne's wife wears this stark black hat mm-hmm. against everything. Thorne wears this white turtleneck that they always show him standing against this patterned wallpaper mm-hmm. in his apartment. Shot after shot after shot after shot. There's a montage of nature mm-hmm. that, you know, because it's shot in Switzerland. Yeah. And it's, absolutely gorgeous just what kenneth mcpherson does with light and shadow mm-hmm. and and the, you know the, the the angles and again the composition of the shots mm-hmm. it made me think of both uptight and daughters of the dust like i think this is really one of the most beautifully shot films okay that we've watched so that ultimately i enjoyed it on its own terms. You kind of have to mention Courtney Pine's score just because if you watch it, like when when um when they found this print of it and they restored it, Courtney Pine wrote some music and and the score is what plays over it throughout. Because again, it's a silent film. Right. And I ran hot and cold with it. I thought it was a little overwhelming. I did too. And 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 sometimes I turned it down. Yeah. Just so I could just watch the action on the sheen. On the, on the screen. But again, taking this film on its own terms as someone who has no background in this, who doesn't really understand the, the, the technical significance mm-hmm. of this, I came away really enjoying it. I enjoyed the, the technique of it, like you said, and what has been for the most part, the biggest celebration of this film. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's the reason why this film has made it uh, as part of the Criterion Collection is because of its place for its cinematography. That it was done by Kenneth McPherson, who wrote and directed it as well. And there are scenes where he plays with, you know, like you said, the the shadows and light. He plays around with depths of field a lot um, in some scenes that make this film, even though it is, you know, uh, thankfully been restored um, over the years. I think it was actually restored back in uh, 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes this film almost feel out of time. Like, you will watch this film and within the first couple of minutes, or at least I did, and I said, oh, I must be watching the wrong movie. This right. cannot be 1930. Yeah. yeah. This cannot be 
three years before the Emperor Jones. Mm-hmm. This cannot be 17 years before a Heidi Ho. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> um, it, 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 no, this somebody has act honestly pulled a joke on somebody. So I actually stopped because it's available on YouTube, but it's available in a couple of places on YouTube. So I actually stopped it and said, let me go to another one because and find the, the real borderline. And sure enough, this was this was it. So then I said, oh, OK, because the second one I went to is the one that actually had the Criterion Collection opening. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I guess I, I guess this is it. Yeah. Um, and for, and rightfully so, the shots that are taken in this movie, the, the evocative imagery that Kenneth McPherson films in this, in this film, the, um, the poetry that he tries to show, like you said, with the with the cat. Um, I love the scene where I where I mentioned where um, Ada is walking away from Pete throughout this little town in Switzerland where it was shot. And Pete is a good 20, 30 paces behind her. And every time they turn a corner, it cuts to a cat, you know, curiously circling around a jar of water. Mm hmm. And not only did I just love the technique of that shot, the angle of that shot, just the professionalism of that shot was just like mind boggling for 1930. You know, remember, this is still in the early days of film itself. Yeah. You know, the industry itself is still a a wee pup at this. And and that's what this man is doing. But then just the the poetry of that worked for me you know the kind of like uh ada being this uncat this unobtainable you know you know person even though she is pete's wife yeah. you know but he still you know doesn't really have her you know and he's still chasing after her so that worked very well for me. The technique of it, the 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 montage and the and the scenery. There's a couple of dissolves and and transitions of scenes that were just really like marvelous. I mean, and unheard of. Not only for 1930. They wouldn't be seen again until the 40s. Right. People just weren't even, they didn't even know about this. Right. You know, and that's because, you know, McPherson was making this film with this collective of creatives, you know. So these were like these hidden gems that it, that he was creating. Um, so for that reason, this film is worth is 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 worthy. And then for the subject matter that he dares to put on to screen, you know, like you said, you know, um, and I think you get away with it in 19 in 1930 Switzerland as opposed to 1930 Hollywood. No doubt of having this white man, you know, lust for this black woman so much so that he is, you know, dares to provoke a fight 
with Pete, the Paul Robinson character. And if this was done in Hollywood, I guarantee that white man does not then shrink away from that fight. Yeah. With, from Paul Robeson and realizing like, oh, yeah, this is this is not going to end well. No. Um, psych. <laughs> and tippy-toe down the steps. Right, right, you know? right. That doesn't happen in Hollywood. Right. You get away with that here in, in Switzerland. You get away in Switzerland with the... Um, with the people that kind of like run this little like I guess boarding home where Pete and and Ada live, um, being, let's say, ambiguous about their sexuality. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. How about that? And and I don't know how truly ambiguous they are. Yeah, but it's not spoken about, right. so I don't want to say what's not textually there it's a little gender fluid and i think yes when you look at the pool group Mm -hmm. this is this is part of what they were were discussing yeah this is this was what this is what it was i mean you had the gavin author who played thorn the he was an astrologer and a sexologist (laughs) uh we talked about you talked about um astrid Thorne's Thorn's wife, played by Hilda Doolittle, she was a poet, novelist, and she calls herself a memoirist. Yes. I've never heard of a memoirist. You know what? You're not an avant-garde artist in the early 20th century Switzerland. You know, uh, there was the poet and novelist and memoirist, Annie Winifred Ellerman, yeah, who went by the name of Briar. You know, you had <laughs> uh, a Scottish writer and poet, Robert Herring, who played the piano player in this in this film. So, the, you know, this was the these collectors, and they were coming from all over pla- all over the place. You know, uh, Gavin and and Hilda were American. Robert was Scottish. Paul Robeson and and Islanda. We know that he spent a lot of time overseas. Right. You know, after school, um, to pretty much like you know hone his technique and be able to do practice his techniques, his oh, acting yeah. techniques. You know, unencumbered, um, which is something that you couldn't do at home. So. For them to get together and then to dare to put on film, you know, this window into the world in which they lived. Yeah. With the commentary on the society in which they were living this life. Because even though they're over in Switzerland, there was, you know, and it's there in film, pushback against this life. The 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 story basically is about how the townsfolk rise up and say that this black man can no longer live here. Right, right. Because he's a black man. Because he's a black man. But to your point, so much of the primary plot, and again, we are using terms like plot and storyline very, very loosely, focuses on Thorn and Ada. But you nailed it. I think there's also this subplot about how everyone in there is attracted to Pete mm. and how he is is unsettling the waters. Right. You talking, you know, the two sort of 
sexually ambiguous women who are flirty with each other, but then they're also with Pete. And then the piano player, the detail I love, the piano player has this picture of Pete yeah, on his piano that he looks to as he plays. Mm-hmm. So that I got the sense that they had to kick Pete out because he's unsettling everything. Right. You know, it's not so much, it's not the racism of, of you know, there's the older woman who represents the, the fire and brimstone of right. the old ways. And, yeah, played and, by Blanche Lewin. Oh, who's who's also kind of nice. You know, I, I kind of like her too. Mm-hmm. And I like where they, where they they actually play show the flames. Yeah, as she's walk as she's talking. Yeah, but everybody in this boarding house, it, it seems like Pete and Ada just sort of unsettle them. Mm-hmm. Which, which which was well, a, the thing that was the thing. Yeah, but I feel like it was more than just lust. Like oh, for, from from uh, uh, Thorn, from Thorn, and from these other people towards these two. Well, yeah, well, okay, yeah, no, no, it was more than lust. Right, it was more than lust, and 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 uh, I don't know outside of Thorn for Ada, I don't know if anybody else was of a romantic nature attracted to Pete. I think they were just there was something about there Pete. was something about Pete, you know, and and which makes sense. In if you know Paul Robeson and the presence that he has, like you said, the camera loves him. Yeah. So it made that gorgeous shots. Gorgeous shots of him. But we're talking about the camera loving him because that's really all he's given to do in this movie. Yeah. He's really only there to just be in front of the camera. Yeah. Uh, Because as a silent movie and with the you know, and with the the techniques that McPherson is trying to, you know, put across in this film, you know, with more of a psychological bent and letting people's movements more tell the story, there ain't a lot of movement, right? Especially from Paul Robeson. So you don't, you're meant to try to extrapolate the story, his story, or at least his point of view of the story. From these comp- uh, composited shots of him, right, and that's where the lack of a script or at least a few more, you know, title cards, right, 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 giving you, when, uh, you know, at least dialogue. If it's not giving you thoughts, right. at least giving you dial more dialogue. Let the film down. What I got is is they really were situating Pete as this angelic figure. Mm. Like 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 you said, you not only do do you have all of these shots of his face, but but there's all of this imagery with his hands, yeah. and his arms and and it's almost you know, you know, I hate to use this as like Michelangelo's David, mm. the way they shoot him and and even when he le- even when he finally punches the guy at the end you get the sense from the film that they've pulled him down to their level. Right. He's been noble throughout, and, and he, all he wants is to be with Ada. Mm-hmm. That's all he wants the whole movie is to yep. be with Ada. And like you said, Ada is always out of his reach. 
except for one scene. There's a scene where he's in the the the, the common room mm-hmm. and he's talking to the two women and they you know they give him that's the scene where they give him the flower. Oh right. And I really like that scene. I thought there was this real breeziness yeah. to yeah. his movements and, that's and, true. and considering it's three years before Emperor Jones. Emperor Jones, whereas we talked about, he's so regal mm-hmm. in everything about him. It kind of reminded me, because we were just talking about it, of Danny Glover, almost. Like, there's this real... Because Danny Glover's not a small man. Right. But right. there's a breeziness and there's an ease in yeah. the way that he kind of moves that you don't right. get from Paul Robeson three years after that, where now he's more in that James Earl Jones, mm-hmm. you know, statuesque and, and dignified. Right. But I really like that scene. It is, it and is. that's and it stuck out to me because, as as you said, for the rest of the movie, he doesn't emote right as much as the other players. And I think that scene also sticks out because it's one of the few scenes that with him that I think is authentically intimate. Mm. The putting the flower behind his ear, yeah, and there their you know playfulness with him is you don't see that with Ada no you don't and then pretty much every other scene of Paul Robeson is either him you know standing staring down somebody or just standing like you said against the clouds so this is the only real scene where he is allowed to just be yeah, a guy in the boarding home. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and, and I think that's why it gets across. And I think that's also the scene because I think this film, as much as Kevin McPherson in the in the film loves Paul Robeson, I think it loves those women that run the boarding home. Yeah, because there's a lot of fun shots with them. It's a cool shot that looks down into that common room where they're kind of like one of them is kind of like just dancing around. Yeah. And that's a real, just a cool shot in general. Yeah. Uh, but just a real, just fun moment. You yeah. Know? They, they have fun with their, with when they're on the phone, when they're talking to we, everybody, they have fun basically all along. And I think that when in that scene you're talking about where, Ken uh, McPherson can actually put all three of them in a room together. I think his joy of those three performers comes out in them just being so playful with one another and being able to have a little bit of fun. Sure, sure. You know? uh, so yeah, that's that scene definitely stood out. It stood out to me, stood out um, in the film that ultimately as much as i want to champion it for the techniques and it's worthy to be praised it's worthy to be praised and i think that if you are a film student yes you this is must see um filmmaking yeah outside of that i can't recommend this movie okay because i think that the narrative that it tries to get across while daring for its time 
I don't think it hits it so hard. I, I don't I don't think the narrative even comes close to matching the technique of this film. So to circle back to the beginning, using a modern definition, or or at least a definition that we've brought together communally, would you call this a movie? I would call it a movie because there is decidedly a narrative. There is a beginning, a bit of a middle and end. So it it it's a film. I'm not going to say it's not a film. It's not it's not just a series of images. I mean it 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 gets there eventually mm-hmm. to be a film. So yeah, it's a movie. It's just not a movie that I would recommend. It's not enough of a movie to recommend. Not not to the casual movie goer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I I tend to agree with you. Except I, I think I might come at it. I almost don't want to recommend it as a movie, but I want people to watch it. So you want the cat? But when you say people, the casual movie person, the casual movie person, or, 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 or you know, the missionaries. Like we're talking to the missionaries. We're talking to the missionaries. Yeah. But there are some missionaries that I don't. I don't think they're going to get anything out of this film. I'm I, honestly, I think as a film student. I You're going think, to get something out I of it. I think there's enough beauty in here. Again, not as a movie. Not as a movie. I think I th- I'm, I'm right there with you that it's not enough of a movie here mm-hmm. to recommend it as a movie. But I was I was struck by the beauty of so much of this film. Again, I went right to Daughters of the Dust and Uptight, which to me are the most beautiful films that we've watched. Oh. Outside of the narrative, outside of the acting, outside of the score and the music, outside of of the plot, Mm. outside of everything that we talk, outside of their place in, like everything that we talk about. Mm -hmm. I think those are two of the most beautiful films that I've ever seen. Just looking at them and hmm. two of the those are my two most beautiful films that we've watched and halfway through this film i could not stop like like my notes are me just jotting down all of these shots like just the just the pure composition of shots hmm. i don't know how much of a movie it is if this makes sense i don't even know if i'm making sense necessarily because I don't recommend it as a movie because I don't know if I don't think it's enough movie there. But you want to, people to see it. But I want people to see it. But almost like an ex, it's like what's 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 the movie we watched with with the brother who made the movie about, for the girl and then made a movie within the movie. Oh, the oversimplification of her beauty. I'm almost talking about it like that. Okay, where where we're almost decompressing or deassembling or deconstructing what it is when we talk about a movie mm-hmm. and it, it, it it's a little frustrating because I know I just don't have the language hmm I, I, I think I understand what you're saying but okay wouldn't recommend this as a movie right but 
if I was at a museum of movies and this was playing on a loop as one of the exhibits, I might stand there for a couple of minutes. And when I said use the word deconstruction, like I think I don't think this movie has to be shown in the order that it's shown. Like I think you can take out just take shots. Yeah, or 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 sequences. Okay, but but then but okay, but then that's not recommending people watch it then. I, but see, and that and now yeah. and, and now you're where I am. Like yeah. like like the, the the parts that I recommend the most about this movie, you don't necessarily have. Like you just said, like if there was an exhibit mm-hmm. of you know anatomy of borderline, mm-hmm. and there were I don't know eight televisions set up, and each television had ten minute segments from the movie. Right. I don't think you have to follow the flow of the exhibit. Like you, you you can go to whichever exhibit has the least amount of people in front of it. Watch those 10 minutes, then go in whatever order you want. And to my mind, the real strength of this film would be intact. Hmm. So that again, when I asked you, would you call this like when you said, oh, it's a movie, it has a beginning, a middle and an end, which it certainly does. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I need that beginning and middle and end for it to sustain the level of power that it has. Okay. So there you. So am I recommending it? It. I don't know what you're doing. I don't, you don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know. Started. I said, don't see it. You said, don't see it. Vince <laughs> said, don't see it. Vince said, cut it up. Cut it up and throw it in the air. <laughs> Maybe you just want to give people a timestamp. How about that? Just, you just give people a timestamp of where to go to where on to borderline. Go. When he's walking through the woods with Ada, when he's trying, I guess they're trying to reconcile. Yeah. And I say that because... Not for, you don't get the sense that Ada is that vested no. in any of this. <laughs> Ada is just a, Ada was man. I did love Ada though. By the end, I was like Ada is just causing a ruckus. To be fair though, Ada, who was played by uh, Islanda Robeson, Robeson, yeah, was an anthropologist. Yes, she was. An author. Yes, she an was. Actor. Yes, she was. And a civil rights That's activist. That's right. You think what kind of a woman marries Paul Robeson? And was his this, business manager. This kind of woman yes. marries Paul Robeson. So maybe she was above all. Right. Where Paul Robeson went up to Ada and he is Londa? Yes. Islanda. Yeah. Yeah. Paul Robeson went to take Islanda on a date and Paul Robeson said, Boy, I hope my program is tight enough. Yeah. Like, let me make sure my stuff is tight. Yeah, for Ms. Islanda Cardoza Good. Yeah. Who would become uh Essie Robeson. Yeah, she yeah, she was all right with me. But I love that sequence. Mm-hmm. And like I said, throughout there are these shots of Thorn and that stark white turtleneck mm. shot against the wallpaper. I, yeah. I, I I I loved every single sequence in their apartment. Mm. Every one of them. Hmm. So, you said this is one of the most beautiful films that we've seen. I I do, I and do. It's, it's a good looking film. I do. I it, it, I mean, you brought up a film that I would, I'd have to see it again, but I think maybe it's a little better. Uh, 
Oversimplification of her beauty is a beautiful movie. I think oversimplification of her beauty is stuffed though. Is 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 stuffed. And when I think of beauty, I think of of the precision of the composition mm-hmm. of shots from yeah. shot to shot. Yeah. Where where I've I've said this before about some films, where there are some films that I, I, I could freeze frame and if I had a printer hooked up to my television, mm-hmm. I could print something from that freeze frame right and then frame it mm-hmm. devil in a blue dress is another one that one a blue dress is a good looking film um the other one that's coming to my mind nothing but a man nothing but a man beautiful film that's a good one. The, the, middle of nowhere middle of nowhere. middle of nowhere beautiful film i was also going to say the defiant ones with sydney portier and tony curtis okay that's a good that's a pretty good looking film um yeah, there's a few that I would that I would challenge you on the two that you. I think this is right in there with them. I think this is right in that conversation, and this is 1930 again. That's the the, the crazy part right. about it. it's 1930. And, and again, it's not one or two shots. Yeah, you know yeah. there are films that oh that's a beautiful shot. I am talking of this hour. Forty straight minutes of it are just shot to shot to shot. Look at it. It's good. Uh, no, like no, watch good. it again from from that perspective. I'm telling you. I think the techniques that he uses are, especially for 1930. I think the techniques that he uses are are great, and there yeah. are some great shots in here. I don't think that he sus- sustains that level throughout the film. The majority of the film, probably, yeah, but not. I mean, it's only an hour. Well, it's an hour eleven minutes. Yeah. So. So. So you've already said, well, you said 40, if it's an hour, 11 minutes. Why, you said 40%. I wouldn't No, say, I said 40 minutes. 40 minutes. Right, well, right. Like I said, most, okay, maybe most of it, I, but. Right, you, you just said the majority of it. Like, you just agreed with me, and now you don't want to agree with me anymore. I don't. Like, we actually said the same thing. But I don't know if I think he sustains the, that quality that much. Like, there are some shots where it's like, oh, my God, they're breathtaking. And then there are some shots that are like, Wow, that's really good. Okay, and I wouldn't. It, it doesn't look like 1930. Okay, I'll there's go along with that. There's, there's I, a difference. I will go along. There are extraordinary shots, and then there are really good shots. Like yeah. wow, yeah. But um, but not enough movie. Not enough. That's fair. I think that's fair. I think we might be saying the same thing. I think we are. Yeah, I, I think, think for we the might most part be saying we are. the same thing. You know, the technique is there to be marvel, but yeah. the movie itself. Yeah, it's know. not a, and. Yeah, I don't know, but um, but yeah, borderline. I'm, I'm glad we. I was that just about to I'm say. Glad I am I saw it, and I'm glad we watched it. I am. I am glad, glad we watched and it, and that we're actually putting this out there for people. Yeah, so that they can discover it as well. Yeah. All right. Before we get into what we're going to touch on next week, ladies and gentlemen, on the Michelle mission, I invite you to. Give us all of your feedback. Email us at michomission at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at michomission. Join the Facebook group, michomission, where we have a lot of fun uh, talking to all our missionaries. Michaux is spelled M-I-C-H-E-A-U-X. Our show is available in an edited form as a radio show every Saturday at 1 p.m. on WPPM, People Power Media, Philly Cam. 
Like, 106.5 FM on your Philadelphia radio dial. And you can wake up every Monday morning with me show at 9 a.m. on 91.7 FM WKDU, the voice of Drexel University. And the Michelle Mission is a proud member of the Podglomerate Podcast Group, thepodglomerate.com, curated podcasts for your listening pleasure. Check it out. They got great podcasts like Green Eggs and Dan. It's insane. All right. Next All right. week on the Michelle Mission is we begin. We begin. The road to 200. That's right. We're going to have 25 bangers top shelf top shelf stuff ladies and gentlemen here we go and it all kicks off next week with episode 175 all right you kicking it off lynn i am kicking it off with episode 175 and it is only fitting only fitting that 175 be my final stop on the wayback machine i knew it and as I have gone through the decades, I now find myself in the 1920s. And now we're in the 1920s. Specifically, 1925. Ah. For a little film that I like to call Body and Soul. There it is. There it is. A film which... To Mo Poplar's I was about uh, to say, three, three weeks in a row. I knew you were going to pick this. Featured Paul Robeson's That's motion picture debut. That's right. In a film directed by who? Well, it's not only directed, it was produced, written, and distributed by the godfather of black cinema himself, Oscar Michaud. Oscar Michaud. You know, the Criterion Collection actually has a Paul Robeson collection. And it's got borderline and body and soul on it. Does it really? Yeah. I did not know that at all. Yeah. Honestly, didn't I was know. gonna pick body and soul last week. Where are you now? But I like I said, I I thought this is where you were headed. Would you that's a good one. That is well, well thank this, you. This is this is a good one. So I am looking forward to this film. So am I. I've never seen it. Me either. I, I, I'm reading about. Like I said, I told you, I'm reading that biography now. Right. Of so, I, so I just read about body and soul. Oh, okay. You, oh, cool. You know, so, so you'll have all types of nuggets. All types of nuggets, because this is a good one. As we begin our road to 200, ladies and gentlemen, and let me tell you, Vince and I have already started booking special trips. We're making a sojourn to Vincent's. Um, uh, my ancestral his home. ancestral home of of Baltimore. We've got that already on the books. We're going to be checking out uh, Opal Renfrey's favorite podcast, Red Lip Theology. We'll be talking to the uh, the creator of that great podcast. We've got so much planned for the next twenty five episodes. It's like and Vince said. Nothing but bangers. And then 201 will pick something really obscure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I say bangers, and then I think of one that is on my list. And I'm I was like, about, well, 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 
Somebody. Somebody's for somebody. To it's do. a banger to one of you. Right, right. And that's right. all that counts. And that's all that matters. All right. All right. Until then, he's Vince. I'm Len. And parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again. <laughs>